0: Welcome to the ABR podcast, where some of Australian Book Review's contributors read their articles or discuss them with ABR staff. My name is Peter Rose, and I'm the editor of ABR. If you enjoy these podcasts, think about subscribing to the magazine. Those 25 and under can do so for as little as $25 for the online version, or just $60 for print plus online. Greetings podcast listeners, my name is Christopher Menz and I lead the ABR Cultural Tours, which we present in association with Academy Travel. Next up is a tour of the 2023 Adelaide Festival and Writers' Week. Join myself and ABR editor Peter Rose for nine days of concerts and performances and guided tours of museums and galleries, plus sessions at Writers' Week and ABR's unique brand of conversation and conviviality. Full details are available from the Academy Travel website. See you in Adelaide. James Joyce's Ulysses is undoubtedly the most famous book of the 20th century. Yet it has a complex publishing history, even setting aside the censorship it has attracted. There have been at least 18 editions since it was first published in 1922. To celebrate the centenary of its publication, Cambridge University Press has republished a facsimile of the original version of Ulysses, a handsome volume too and remarkably inexpensive. In this week's ABR podcast, Ronan MacDonald, the Gerry Higgins Chair in Irish Studies at the University of Melbourne, surveys that publishing history and reviews the new edition. His feature appears in our November issue.
1: Earlier this year, I took a group of students to the State Library of Victoria to see its impressive Joyce collection. We examined some special books, including lavish editions of Ulysses, the 1935 Limited Editions Club edition with Matisse's accompanying etchings, the 1988 Arion Press edition with illustrations by Robert Motherwell and various others. But the one that had lured us down Swanston Street was the iconic first edition with its famous blue cover fortuitously acquired by the State Library of Victoria in 1922. The story of how James Joyce's masterpiece was published is well known. Ulysses, the scandalous, obscene book, was scuppered by censors even before it was launched. Some episodes from the novel had appeared in the American modernist magazine The Little Review. Copies were seized and destroyed, and the editors of the journal prosecuted for obscenity. As a result, no publisher wanted to touch the full novel. An American expatriate, Sylvia Beach, who ran Shakespeare and Company Bookshop in Paris, came to the rescue. She offered to publish the novel for a disheartened and discouraged Joyce, and the book duly appeared in time for Joyce's 40th birthday in February 1922. A fast meal of this text has now been republished by Cambridge University Press under the editorial guidance of Catherine Flynn, a Cork-born Joycean based at Berkeley University, California. The first thing you notice about the Cambridge Centenary Ulysses is its heft. As with the blue-wrapped original, its dimensions are as generous as a holy book, and it weighs in at 3.08 kilograms, the weight of a healthy newborn. You definitely get a lot of book here for your book, yet it might seem a strange decision for Cambridge to reproduce the first edition which is notoriously riddled with errors. Joyce rushed to meet his self-imposed birthday deadline, finishing final chapters and adding copious emendations to galleys and proofs. The printer beach deployed for the job, Maurice Dantier of Dijon, was hardly ideal for a complex experimental work in English, one with thousands of literary allusions and complex verbal play multiple languages and cultural references, including vernacular Irish-inflected English. Flynn and Ronan Crowley explain here in a piece on the textual genesis that, within a few weeks of beginning the first edition, the print shop had exhausted its supply of the characters W, B and Y, used less frequently in French, and E. Flynn justifies using the first edition on the basis that, if some errors are reproduced, At least it is free of the many later erroneous attempts to clean up the text. Beginning with Joyce's own errata notes, which are helpfully reproduced in the margins here, Ulysses has been subjected to, and often suffered from, well-intentioned proofreaders and typesetters correcting errors. If hundreds of mistakes were picked up, numerous new variants were introduced in later versions. We are still without a definitive version. The closest scholarship has come to that ideal is Hans Walter Gabler's Ulysses, a critical and synoptic edition from 1984, the first to make use of computer technology and meticulously comb through all of Joyce's manuscripts and drafts. That edition was itself prominently excoriated by the academic John Kidd, who famously wrote about the scandal of Ulysses in the New York Review of Books in 1988. Nonetheless, Gabler's has become the most commonly cited edition in Joyce Scholarship. This Cambridge Centenary edition includes the line numbers from Gabler in the margins, allowing readers to follow the extensive Joyce Scholarship. It also indicates Gabler's most important interventions in the footnotes. In a compressed but effective way, this new edition both starts at the beginning of the story of Ulysses' publication and gives the reader a sense of the textual history of the novel. This is one of several features that make Cambridge Centenary Ulysses a hospitable experience for readers, new and old, and scotches any presumption one might have that it is destined to be a dust-gathering collector item. The book's dedication is for the reader, setting off on a long and arduous adventure, and the textual apparatus delivered here does much to aid that notional Homer. It includes a wealth of illustrations, maps to locate chapters and trace characters' movements, black-and-white photographs of Dublin, a chronology of Joyce's life alongside contemporaneous cultural and political events, an index of recurrent characters, reproductions of Joyce's schema, and extensive guides to further reading. That's not to mention the helpful annotations at the end of every page and the introductory essays provided by Joyce scholars and preceding each of the 18 episodes that make up the novel. How much annotation do we need when approaching Ulysses for the first time? Arguably, we should be less frantic about chasing down allusions and references in Ulysses in our digital area. They are readily accessible, not only in the long-established guides and annotated editions, but in the ever-expanding online resources, glossaries, and podcasts, like the late Frank Delaney's Rejoice podcast. One of the reasons why readers are waylaid in Ulysses is because they approach the novel with a grim determination to unlock it, to chase every illusion or to gloss every reference. But to experience Ulysses is not to master it. Indeed, the latter might stymie the reading experience. As readers, we do well to approach the novel with negative capability, to borrow Keats's term, to rest in uncertainty and obscurity, to settle for knowing some illusions and not others, to sit in the half-light of partial understanding, such that we not only read the text but become aware of ourselves as implicated within the meaning-making process. This edition calmly and neatly offers selective annotations and explanation in smaller type at the foot of the page so that it does not overwhelm the text. It does not pretend to dispel every obscurity and opacity, nor does it threaten the fluency and flow. Like much else here, the aim is to provide supportive information while smoothing the literary journey To offer readers individual introductory essays on all 18 episodes of Ulysses as here is not unprecedented. All these are written by experienced and informed scholars who, crucially, can write for a general audience, and their reflections click together satisfyingly. Each one analyses how Homer's Odyssey informs the relevant episode, thus unlocking the title, and situates that analysis in relation to the one before and after while also offering fresh and arresting insights and interpretations. These scholars also feature in the U22 The Centenary Ulysses podcast, which has been released at intervals to accompany the edition, and which includes absorbing conversations with readers of the novel from all sorts of backgrounds, including one or two Australians whom I was surprised to encounter. We test our students' spinal tolerance at our peril, But despite this book's weight, I plan to assign it as a required edition for my Ulysses class next year. That surely counts as recommendation. You could do worse than put the Cambridge Centenary Ulysses in a few Christmas stockings, but make sure that they are extra wide. The other volume under consideration here, 100 Years of James Joyce's Ulysses, edited by Colum Tobin, will interest those who want to dig further into the materiality of Joyce's great work, into the book as object, how it comes to exist, both bibliographically and historically. Published to accompany a centenary exhibition, which has just concluded at the Morgan Library and Museum in New York, the book is lavishly visual, as you would expect. Here you can see colour photos of some of the additions and emendations that Joyce made to the proofs he sent back from the Dijon printers, as well as extracts from autograph manuscripts, including stately plump Buck Mulligan, the opening line, in Joyce's own spidery hand. The exhibition was curated by the Irish writer Colum Tobin, who edits the volume and writes an essay marked by his style of anecdote-rich literary history. Tobin is currently doing a sterling job as the laureate for Irish fiction. How about an Australian version of that ambassadorial role? That may be one reason, why the poet and president of Ireland, Michael D. Higgins, writes a short preface for the exhibition, reproduced here. There are ten other essays, including one by the legendary book dealer, Rick Kikowski on the astonishing Sean and Mary collection, donated to the Morgan by the British bone art gallerist, Sean Gallery, a born James Joyce collector. There is also an interview with Kelly by Tobin, a couple of essays on US holdings of Joyce-related archival materials, and a series of essays, including one by Catherine Flynn, on Joyce and the various cities with which he is associated, Dublin, Trieste, Zurich, Paris. A more detailed account than I have provided above of the travails of Joyce's publication and his battle with the censors are provided in illuminating essays by Maria de Battista and Joseph M. Hassett. Joyce notoriously predicted that his great book would quote, «keep the professors busy for centuries» arguing over what I meant, and that's the only way of ensuring one's immortality. Well, one century down, Joyce shows no signs of mortality yet.
0: Thanks for listening to the Australian Book Review podcast. Join us again next week. If you enjoyed this episode, why not consider subscribing to ABR? Subscriptions start from just $10 a month for full digital access. Visit our website for more information. We'd like to thank Stacey Chan, who edits the podcast, as well as our contributors, who take the time to read their articles and creative writing. And if you enjoy listening to the ABR podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes.